Welcome to this podcast of the New York City Bar Association. In this episode, Hispanic Heritage Month, celebrate, collaborate, elevate. Ariana Moray, an associate at CSG Law, speaks with Julia Lopez, a partner at Reed Smith, on her professional journey and her advice for aspiring Hispanic attorneys on finding their way in the legal profession. James A. Lewis V, Executive Director of the City Bar's Office for Diversity and Inclusion, introduces the conversation. Opinions expressed are those of the speakers and not necessarily of the City Bar. Here's James A. Lewis V. Hello, everyone. My name is James Lewis, and I serve as the Executive Director for the Office of Diversity and Inclusion with the New York City Bar. I'm excited to share that we have Julia Lopez and Ariana More join us as we recognize Hispanic Heritage Month. Uh, my hope and intention is that Hispanic Heritage, this Hispanic Heritage Month podcast will serve as a way to celebrate, collaborate, and elevate the Hispanic community and help educate legal practitioners about the importance of the rich history and diversity of the Hispanic community. Uh, so with that, I'd like to get out of the way and turn things over to Ariana. Ariana? Thank you, James. And thank you, Julia, for the opportunity to speak with both of you on this very important uh, issue and commemorate Hispanic Heritage Month together. I'm Ariana Moray. I'm an associate at Kiesa Shahinian and Gian Tomasi, soon to be called CSG Law for short. And I work in the employment group and I handle both litigation, employment litigation and employment counseling matters for business clients. And again, I am just very uh, excited to speak with Julia about important Latinx issues and learn more about Julia, as I have had the pleasure and opportunity to work under her tutelage with the Hispanic Bar Association of New Jersey as a trustee. So with that, I I would love it if uh, Julia would uh, tell us a little bit about herself, and then I will ask some very uh, interesting questions about her career, as well as Hispanic heritage. Well, thank you, Ariana. It's a pleasure to be with you here today. And thank you, James, for the invitation uh, to participate on this podcast. Um, As you said, my name is Julia Lopez. I am a partner at Reed Smith's Life Science Health Industry Group, where I largely defend pharmaceutical and medical device companies. I'm also the partner chair for our Latino Hispanic business inclusion group known as Unidos at Reed Smith. And uh, we support Hispanic, Latinx uh, attorneys and professional staff in this group. I'm also the past president, as you mentioned, and had the pleasure of working with you on my board as the past president of the HBA New Jersey. And I'm currently the national finance director for the Hispanic National Bar Association. Thank you, Julia. And there's a lot more to be said about Julia and her bio will be circulated that you can see a lot more of Julia's accomplishments and recognition. But just to dig in a little bit right now in person with Julia, I would appreciate if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and your career trajectory. Sure, absolutely, Ariana. So I think any story about my career trajectory has to give credit to my parents. I immigrated to the United States um, at the age of five from Guatemala. I We settled in the inner city of Elizabeth, New Jersey, where I went to public school throughout my, my, my life as a young child um, into high school and then had the uh, opportunity to uh, be accepted to various Ivy League schools and colleges. And I chose Georgetown University to go to school. Uh, when I finished uh, college, I returned to New Jersey 
And I decided to work as a paralegal for a few years with really the only lawyer that I knew at the time who had handled a personal family matter. And I worked for her for about four years before I decided that I did want to pursue law. And I did apply to law schools. And I attended, as you know, Rutgers, the Rutgers Minority Student Program in Newark. I'm a proud MSP graduate. Um, after graduating in 2006, um, I had the privilege and honor to clerk for the Honorable Johnny Wallace Jr. on the Supreme Court of New Jersey. Um, I, I, after working with him for a year, I returned to law firm life. I had done two summers at law firms during my law school time, and I ended up working um, at, a, at a law firm, a pretty large regional law firm in New Jersey, uh, where I worked there for about five years uh, until I had an incredible opportunity to work, uh, to go back to clerking, but for federal, a federal judge. I worked for the first magistrate and first district court Latina judge in the District of New Jersey, uh, the Honorable Esther Salas. I did that for two years. And after finishing my clerkship, I uh, went back to law firm life and I decided I wanted to work at a larger law firm. Uh, that would open up new opportunities. And I had the, the privilege of joining Reed Smith at the time as a mid-level associate about six, seven years ago. And just in 2010, at the beginning of the pandemic, I made partner at Reed Smith. Congratulations, Julia, for achieving that goal, which so few Latinas actually reach. Not that it's not deserved, but it's just something that's a, a very distinguishable accomplishment. And if you could just share a little bit about your work as chair of the Hispanic and Latinx Business Inclusion Group? Absolutely. So, you know, we're really proud of our diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives at Reed Smith. I have had the pleasure of working um, with this. It was first an affinity group, and it has expanded now to a business inclusion group for both our attorneys and our professional staff. We named it Unidos, um, which is really important to our Hispanic Latinx community because one goal of mine has always to make everyone feel like they belong, like they are welcomed in this business inclusion group. And as you know, um, Latinos sometimes can be very uh, fragmented. We often identify first with our, our country of origin instead of uh, the fact that we're Latinos. So regardless of what race or what background you're from, if you're Latino, Hispanic, you are welcomed, you are invited to participate in this business inclusion group. The goal, you know, with, with each of our business inclusion groups at Reed Smith, and, and we have, I think, seven or eight for the different groups uh, within the firm. So we have one for African-American attorneys and professional staff. We have one for veterans. We have another one for Asian-Americans disability, LGBTQ, um, you know, maybe missing one, but we do have a, a number of them within the firm. But the goal for our group Unidos is really to help promote the interest of our lawyers and our professional staff. It's intended to serve as a resource for, you know, the communities that we serve in the global markets uh, where our clients are located. And really it's to help, you know, provide that safe space, regardless of whether you're an experienced partner, that's really, you know, in looking for business development and other opportunities, or if you're a young associate that just needs necessary guidance to excel in the legal field, um, or if you're a member of our administrative team that has ideas and wants to, you know, advance in their professional career, it's important for us to help uh, these, to help serve in that role and provide that space for, for our members. You know, obviously, um, 
recruitment and retention are, you know, first and foremost, when you're working in big law. And, and I think you mentioned it, you know, our statistics are, are a little dismal, despite the fact that Latinos now account for 20% of the population. There's still less than 5% of Latinos that work in big law. So, you know, recruitment is always one thing that I'm always focused on. I'm always, you know, at law schools and our members are always actively looking for the next uh, Latino superstar. Um, and so that's certainly something that I'm focused on. But it's also about retention, right? And how do we keep this talent um, within the firm? You know, how do we provide that network and support and real sponsorship so that they stay in big law and thrive in big law? Um, so, you know, that's certainly something that's uh, really important and in involved in that, you know, is, you know, all the discussions that you can think about, like, you know, how do we get our attorneys promoted? How do we get them a seat at the table? You know, how do we ensure that they're getting the right opportunities, the right work, the right type of client uh, interaction? So all of those things are things that we try to cover and be involved in. And of course, it's a celebration, you know, as we as you mentioned, this is Hispanic Heritage Month. And so it's really important for us to also celebrate, you know, the contributions of our Latinx attorneys and professional staff within the firm, but also just the contributions of Latin Americans in this country. Thank you so much for that very thorough answer. I thought of another question as you answered and you answered it as well, which was basically, could you provide us a gem of what you are doing in this business inclusion group to retain talent? And you said it quite clearly, things that matter most to, I know attorneys like myself, associates, is how do we get promoted? How do we get a seat at the table? How do we get the right work to get a seat at the table and be promoted and get that important uh, client interaction? Thank you so much. That was a great answer. And then another question is, what do you think is important for all of our listeners within the profession to know about Hispanic Heritage Month? Sure. So, you know, I'll say I'll say the obvious first. You know, the United States celebrates National Hispanic Heritage Month between September 15th and October 15th to really recognize the histories, the cultures, the contributions and the achievements of American citizens and immigrants. Uh, whose ancestors came from Spain, Mexico, the Caribbean, Central and South America. Uh, but I think what I would love for our listeners to take away is that, you know, Hispanic Heritage Month is, is a celebration of Americans, right? We, uh, Hispanics and Latinos, are American. Uh, and so we want, I think, the public to know that we share a legacy with the rest of the country, you know, a legacy that includes legal professionals, artists, writers, and other leaders in business, government, education, science, you name it, we're involved in that fabric of this nation. Um, I would also tell companies and, and our listeners, you know, to just be careful about not buying into stereotypes during this month. It's, you know, it's not about having events with tacos and sombreros. That's not what Hispanic Heritage Month is about. And even, you know, the best of intentional people can, you know, end up creating a distasteful dis celebration that will create that division that we're not looking for, for in, these, in these workplaces. So I think it's important to stay informed about what Hispanic Heritage Month really is, who we are as a community, you know, educate, educate yourself, you know, understand that Hispanics and Latinx, the Latinx community is not a monolithic group. We, we, we are white, we are black, we are indigenous, we are mixed, we are Asian, 
you know, it's not one race. Um, we, we come from various backgrounds and cultures and, you know, it's, we've been given these terms throughout history, really from, you know, the fact that we needed to report on a census, but that census is important because, you know, like I mentioned, you know, it has now revealed that the Hispanic Latinx community now makes up close to 20% of the U S population. And that's roughly 62 million people um, and has increased about a 23% over the last 10 years. So, you know, it's just important to know that, you know, th this makes, you know, the people of Hispanic Latinx origin, the nation's largest ethnic minority group, and really something, you, you know, you, know, you want to be paying attention to. 100% agree. And I'm going to repeat it for the people in the back that didn't hear or miss that. Don't fall victim to stereotypes and just patronize our culture, but instead invest the time and energy to educate yourself on the culture and learn that it's not monolithic and that there are ways to appreciate the culture and celebrate it without offending people. And I think a, a good way to do that is really just speak to some people who are from the background, such as Julia, that you have right there in your very own arsenal of people equipped and willing to share uh, information, authentic and genuine information about the culture. Now, Julia, is there anything that you do to memorialize or commemorate Hispanic Heritage Month? Uh, absolutely. You know, but I'll say, you know, I appreciate um, that there's a month, you know, September, and it's really not a full month. It's September 15th to October 15th that, you know, is highlighting Latinos. Um, but it would help if we were not, you know, used as political rhetoric for everything bad that happens in this country during the other 11 months. So how I choose to celebrate and commemorate this time is to, you know, throughout the year, all 12 months of the year, I'm always looking for opportunities to promote, support, and elevate all the members of my community year-round. That that's what you know our community um, should be tasked with, and what we should be always doing for each other. And I think that's what these bar associations do. They, you know, they provide a safe space for us to come together, support, help, and elevate each other. And I think it's critical that we do that as well in the Latinx community. And what do you think? the profession is doing well or could improve on as it relates to the Hispanic and Latinx community? Well, I mean, you, I need an hour or days probably to tell you, talk to you about, you know, um, where, where we were, where we're going, where I think we've made improvements. Um, but this is a hard topic to tackle. If I had the answers that I'd, I'd probably be rich or I'd be hired by every law firm across the country. Um, but I, you know, I would say, one thing that I would recommend um, as it relates to our community is that we need to be part of that decision-making table. Um, we need to be in all of those leadership positions, not just for anything that involves DE&I, but, you know, in order to really keep us at these firms and to support uh, the Hispanic Latinx legal community, we need to be part of, of, of that leadership. And, and sometimes I think when we're when we sense that there's not a real investment, people leave. And that's why we have an attrition problem um, across the board and not just law firms, but, you know, everywhere in the legal community. So, you know, I think I think that's a problem that I think all law firms are looking at right now. Retention is, is a problem. Um, attrition is a problem for many law firms. And as I mentioned, you know, despite the fact that Latinos make up nearly 20 percent of the population in the U.S., 
Only 5% of all lawyers in this country are Hispanic or Latinx. Um, and I think that's 2% that are Latinas in big law and less than 1% that actually become partners in big law. So, you know, I wish I had the, the answer to this. I think, you know, having business inclusion groups like Unidos, having bar associations, supporting these organizations is critical so that we can provide a safe space for, you know, Latinos to, to talk and, and, and to talk about their issues and get some real sponsorship so that they feel like they belong and um, they find a place where someone is actually investing in them and sponsoring them and, and not just mentoring them, but really taking an interest in their career. Um, and of course, you know, we, we have to we have to own our own careers and we're behind that wheel. But I think in order, the, the profession, it's, it's really, when you're a young attorney, it's really daunting to walk into a law firm and feel like you're the outsider, to, to feel like you're the other. And so I think these uh, business inclusion groups and bar associations, at least for me, have provided that network that I, that I so needed to thrive in big law. Thank you, Julia. I 100% agree. And uh, if anyone could just imagine if they are not themselves a Latina, you walk into a room and you're the only person who looks like you, uh, who speaks a different language and a different vernacular, what have you. And so it's, it's just daunting, as Julia said, when you don't feel there's a real investment. Now, Julia, how does it make you feel to know that you are a role model to other attorneys in the New York metro area and beyond? Um, humbled, Ariana. Um, but you know, as they say, to whom much is given, much is required. Um, the, the, the reality is that I am a product of wonderful role models throughout my life. So many people have invested in me. And so really it's, it's my duty just to pay it forward. And I'm always happy to do that. Awesome. And I can attest to the many mentees that Julia has and continues to add to. Now, Julia, who were or are some of your role models? And is there any particular particular event that influenced your decision to practice law? Sure. Uh, there are so many role models, as I just mentioned. But I think first and foremost, my parents, you know, it's through their work ethic and um, incredible sacrifice that I have been able to achieve anything in this life. Um, they're my first and foremost model role models in life. Um, and I appreciate everything they have done for me. Um, besides my parents, I, I certainly have been mentored and I have several people in the legal community that serve as my role models, including the two judges that I clerk for. So both, um, judge Salas and justice Wallace, um, you know, they, they took me under their wing early in my, early on in my career and gave me an opportunity that, you know, is, is, is very rare. Um, it's, it's, um, not easy to, to get these opportunities as you know, they're very competitive positions, but yeah. they saw something in me, they believed in me and I was able to learn and thrive, um, you know, under their, um, tutelage. So I'm really, um, happy that I had those opportunities and, you know, throughout my career, I think mentors and role models, um, serve different purposes in life. So, you know, I have a group that, you know, I, that are my role models that I could see that are Latinas, right? That are Latinas that have been blazing these trails for us, you know, a few years ahead of me. I, you know, and then there's, you know, other folks that are more seasoned. Um, 
you know, so there's so many, you know, too many to really name names right now because I don't want to miss anyone off my list. But I am certainly a product of wonderful role models who have taken an interest and really, uh, really blazed those trails for me to show me that I can do it. Um, you know, it's just as Sonia Sotomayor said, you can't imagine what you can't see. So, I mean, that's really powerful, right? So growing up in an inner city like Elizabeth, coming from a very humble background in Guatemala and, you know, being an immigrant myself, you know, you can never really imagine, I never imagined I'd be where I am today, but for the fact that I've seen other Latinas do it. I've seen other Latinas make partner in big law. I've seen other, you know, Latinas do wonderful things, become justices on the Supreme Court of this country. So, you know, why not? Why can't we do it? And it's not until we see that, that we can imagine and feel like we can also achieve that. Absolutely. So on a different note, Julia, uh, we've been dealing with some very different times this last year or so. And I just want to know in the midst of these challenging times, particularly over the last year or two, how have you found resilience to continue to achieve your goals? It's a great question, Ariana. Um, you know, I'll start by saying that, you know, as a daughter of immigrants, I learned um, how to overcome adversity and be resilient from watching them. You know, they have the adversity that they have faced in their life, you know, is much much greater than anything I will ever experience in my life. Um, but yet you're right. This year, the, these last two years haven't been easy. Um, it's been really hard to, you know, to work from home, to make partner at the beginning of a pandemic. Um, and, you know, to, to, to work from home and uh, knowing that there's a pandemic out there that has really, um, you know, wreaked havoc on our community and on all the diverse populations and our families you know, so for me, it was particularly hard to be, you know, home, working comfortably at home while my family was out there, you know, as truck drivers, working at the airport, you know, doing all the other jobs that our essential folks are doing um, and were doing in the pandemic. So that was particularly hard. It's hard, it's hard to see, you know, the statistics about how you know this health crisis was impacting our communities, our diverse populations in significant ways, in significant numbers. How the loss of life, um, and you know, I was fortunate that I, I had not, my immediate family. Um, thank God has has you know ma made it through this COVID pandemic. Um, have been vaccinated. You know, I certainly was making those appointments at three in the morning once the vaccines became available for, you know, I, I, I probably say over a hundred people because it was that important for me to ensure that my family and all my friends that I could impact could get the vaccine. Having seen everything, you know, that we lived through in the beginning, I would say particularly the first year. Um, and it was hard because I think I was the first person that got my vaccine in my entire family, even though I was the one that was working from home. And when I went to one of these mega sites, once again, I looked around and I, 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 I think I was the only brown person. And certainly I didn't see any um, other folks of, of diverse backgrounds. So, you know, all of this is hard. It's just a reminder, right? Um, it's just a reminder of, you know, it's a difficult time. You know, we've had to overcome and I, I wouldn't say overcome. We've had to live through a lot of political and social unrest in the past two years. And it's, this is all a reminder that it's still there. 
it's still there and it's hard. Um, and we have to, but we have to be resilient. We have to, just like my parents got through, have gotten through so much adversity. I, I too will make them proud and get up every day and work and um, thrive in my profession. And if that means I have to reinvent myself and figure out how to do things virtually, well, you know, that's easy. Um, that's how I kind of like to approach things because I know that there's so much more, there's so many more obstacles and challenges out there that what really what I'm doing is, is not that hard. Um, so, you know, but you can't do that alone. You need a village. I always say that and I always recommend that. So what I've always certainly done is surround myself by a village, a community of friends. And, you know, one thing, it seems simple, it seems silly, but one thing that we started doing during the pandemic is we started FaceTiming each other as a group once a day. I mean, these are partners and several different big law firms across the country. And I had a FaceTime chat every day <laughs> so that we could check in with each other and just make sure that everybody was doing okay. You know, um, I continue to network because I'm a big proponent of networking. And as a, a junior partner in my law firm, certainly it was critical for me to continue to, to network. And, and if I had to do it by virtual platforms to stay connected, well, that's what I did. Um, so, you know, working from home hasn't been so bad. Um, but I, of course I do miss the collaboration from my team from working in the office. Um, and lastly, I think I would say, you know, self-care is extremely important and particularly in our diverse community communities where mental health really is a stigma. Um, and so whether it was getting on my Peloton or getting a massage once I was vaccinated or, you know, taking a break just to talk to my tribe, my village, you know, I make sure to take those necessary breaks. Awesome. No, I, I can agree. And that's a great point about the connecting despite so much disconnection during that time. Um, to switch to a lighter note <laughs> and celebrating this Hispanic Heritage Month, which is supremely important, I think, to both of us, um, and the larger community as well. I just thought it was really important to speak to you because it's very important that our stories be told in an authentic manner and through the voices of those who have lived experience such as yours with, a th with an, an authentic and genuine lens on what's going on uh, and affecting our community. Do you have any advice for the next generation of attorneys um, sure, Ariana. You know, I, I would say, you know, be resilient, um, be flexible. You, you know, some of us start law school and they think they're going to pursue, you know, certain things based on what we experience in our childhoods or what we saw on TV or what we saw in our community. But the reality is that there's so much that you can do with your legal degree. And so, you know, I would say stay flexible, look, look for different opportunities. You'd be surprised at how many areas of the law I didn't even know until I got to my law firm. And so it's so important to just explore the opportunities. Um, to that end, I would say get involved, get involved with your bar associations. You know, there's, there's something to be said about finding a safe space where you can really truly talk to someone about what experiences you're dealing with. Um, in your workspace. And sometimes those conversations are better had outside of your workspace. And so I think finding that community is incre inc incredibly important so that you can succeed in, in, in a law firm such as, you know, mine or any of, of across the country and, and the world. 
Um, and, and lastly, you know, I would say network, you know, if you come from a background like mine, if you're an immigrant, if you're, if you grew up in an inner city, you're not going to have a, a Rolodex or a contact list. Uh, and now I'm dating myself with the Rolodex, but you're not going to have a contact list of attorneys and CEOs at different companies. So, I, you know, I would just say, you know, think about, think about 10 years from when you start, you're going to want to either make partner to climb that ladder in house. Um, and you're, you're going, it's all a business. So think about who are your, who are you building those relationships with? And, and it's all about authentic authenticity and having those authentic relationships with folks so that when they need, you know, a good attorney, they will look to you for that help. And, and you'll, you know, you'll be included in that. Um, so I, I think that's what I would share with everyone. Great advice. And, uh, I second that. And um, I would just suggest that maybe you answer another question, which is with regard to networking with people who are not as outgoing as you or I, Julia, uh, what would you suggest to a new attorney or a shy attorney, let's say, who who would ask you the question, where do I begin, Julia? Where, how do I network? How does that work? You know, frankly, I know it's it's it, you you may find it hard to believe, but I was one of those shy young attorneys in law school that you know took two of my friends that were not even Latinos to the first Hispanic Bar Association installation that I attended in, God knows, uh, two thousand and three, I think it was, and I took my friends and we, you know, I found a suit and that I bought, I remember at Macy's, my first suit, and I was really uncomfortable. We, we sat in a, we, we stood in a corner, not knowing, you know, how to introduce ourselves, who to talk to, what to do. Um, and it's really uncomfortable at the beginning, but, you know, I would say what I, what I've always tried to do and what I realized that day, that very first event that I went to is that there is, there is always, um, a number of seasoned attorneys um, that are actually interested and invested in the next generation of Latinx Hispanic leaders and genuinely want to see you do well. So, you know, I know it's hard. I know it's not easy, but the more you do it, the more comfortable you will get at it. And clearly this is something that I do and it's second nature to me now, but you would be shocked to see me in that corner standing in 2003 in comparison to where I am today, it has taken practice. It has taken getting comfortable with, 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 you know, these spaces. Um, and I still can go to certain events and not know anyone, but you know, you learn that it's just about, you know, you're it's just about talking to people, um, learning about people, being off, being your genuine self, and you're going to click with some people and you're not going to do that with others. And so it's okay if, you know, you don't make a, a, a great relationship and contact with every single person in that room. But if you walk away, you know, with one or two people that you've met, you've built your network, you know, and follow through, follow up. Don't be annoying about it, but, you know, make sure that you make sure that you're developing those relationships and you're checking in and you're offering, right? That's the best way to really get involved with bar associations. What can you do for the bar association? 
Can you serve on a committee? Can you serve on the pro bono committee? Can you serve on the DNI committee? Um, how can you help put together a panel? And that is how you start to develop your panel, um, uh, your 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 network. Excuse me. You start developing your network by by volunteering and serving because at the end of the day, you know, it's it's we're all in service too. Um, and I think more is my life has been more fulfilling by serving than anything else in my life. Awesome. Thank you for that answer. Very helpful, I believe, to the less outgoing attorneys for sure. Is there anything else that you would like to share with the listeners, Julia? Uh, you know, I think I think we've covered so much, so much, so much ground today, and I, I want to thank you for this opportunity. Um, but certainly, I would welcome anyone who's listening and who wants um, to talk to me. I am at Reed Smith. Please reach out if you have any questions. Um, and you know, just remember, um, if, be proud of where you where you came from. I think that's something that I've always carried with me, and certainly I celebrated during Hispanic Heritage Month. And anyone who knows me knows that I'm Guatemalan and I'm proud of it, but I'm equally proud of being a Latina and I'm equally supporting my friends at the Dominican Bar Association Gala. And it's important that we stay together, we stay united and, and support each other. Awesome. Thank you, Julia. And thank you to all of our listeners. Um, I just definitely urge you all to replay this information once again, because there was a lot of information and gems in here that Julia shared with you and uh, time is valuable. So we really appreciate your time, Julia, and taking the time to share and impart your knowledge and experiences with the larger community at the New York City Bar. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to this New York City Bar Association podcast. Opinions expressed are those of the speakers and not necessarily of the City Bar. Find more City Bar podcasts and program audio on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher, or on our website at nycbar.org podcasts. This podcast was produced by Eric Friedman and Alex Cardaris.